0: Welcome to I'm Absolutely Fine, the podcast from the middle that looks at all the glamour and indignity of being a grown-up.
1: Hi, so today is a happy day because today is the day that we are recording the first podcast of a mini-series in partnership with Readly.
0: Now we don't know if you already know about Readly, but we do know that our relationship with reading has reignited over the last however long it's been. Yeah, because it was bad for a while. I mean, I was so
1: shut down, I didn't read a thing between maybe Christmas and May.
0: I know, well, thankfully we're back. Up and running again. Yes, we are. And despite all the unlocking, holding on to these little pockets of peace might be one of the things that we want to keep from this whole bizarre situation.
1: You know, it reminds me of, of, of long, long ago when we had time to really pore over this stuff. But it also reminds me that magazines and newspapers can be a kind of glittering, brilliant portal to the world, particularly when over 5,000 titles cost seven ninety nine a month. Actually, listen hard, guys listeners readly are offering you a two-month free trial so that'll see you through the summer god you remember staggering around weighed down with three tons of magazines that cost you a million pounds yeah i
0: know and just saying okay you buy this one and i'll buy this one just so you could share the burden not anymore Uh anyway yes so here's the science bit readly is a digital subscription service for magazines and newspapers think of it as a kind of spotify for all your favorite national and international titles just there Add a touch on your smartphone or tablet and it's properly easy to use. I mean, we mean that seriously because we managed it. When she says we, she (laughs) means me.
1: She's being nice.
0: Well, anyway, and for offline reading, you can actually save articles just in case you're back on your commute or are managing to have a holiday. One account can be shared by up to five profiles on five different devices. So family and friends can join the party too at no extra cost. It couldn't be simpler and boom, suddenly the world is at your fingertips again. I'm getting uh, stuck,
1: deeply stuck into interiors porn and Emily's New York magazine obsession is in full flow. But maybe you're in a Vogue mood or you fancy revisiting Hello Mag. You can catch up on The Guardian or go for global power play with Time magazine. But also the Bino and National Geographic Kids and loads of stuff is there for smaller people who need to be quiet. Please be quiet. I need you to be quiet. And thousands more. It's a joy, actually.
0: We're really into it. Yeah, we really are. Anyway, so to repeat, Readly is offering you two months free if you sign up today using our link. Then it's 7 dollars a month for over 5,000 titles and you can cancel any time. Go to readly.com forward slash The Mid Hi everybody, I'm Annabelle and I'm absolutely
1: fine. But last night when I was driving the old beloved cancer ridden cat barry back from his latest chemotherapy session which is i mean genuinely bankrupting me it is it's but i can't people keep saying oh why don't you just put him down i go no i can't let him down i can't let him down i have to do my best for him um so we're we're driving back it's 26 degrees i'm late because i've got to go and meet someone quite sort of glamorous for a work drink which means going out which means being pretending to be a fully functioning human woman putting on a human suit so i'm wearing my human suit in advance of going out so i can just run I'm driving Barry back, and Barry turns his back on me in the car in his cat cage carrier thing, which he often does because he takes a dim view of his treatment, and and starts to pee everywhere, (laughs) projectile peeing, on me, on himself, on the cat carrier thing with its sheepskin, cosy, loving lining, on the car, and I'm screaming, and I'm on a dual carriageway, and I'm screaming, and I'm trying to mop it up with face masks and fucking bags for life, and all this shit. Uh, And it made me feel incredibly out of control. It was hot and mad. And and it made me me desperately need a drink and feel like I was completely broken. And um, and I I don't think I've kind of recovered. And I'm finding that little things like that, little slightly mortifying things, like I'm very clumsy and I keep dropping things and spilling things, make me stop in the middle of my life and go, I can't can't handle this. I can't handle this. I can't handle anything.
0: Um, How are you, Em? Well, I have to say, Annabelle, there are so many elements in that that are unhandleable with, first of all, going out. Secondly, cat piss. Thirdly, sick cat. Sick cat. Fourthly, a dual carriageway, which is never my favourite situation anyway. So, Annabelle, I'm absolutely fine. But you know what? I think my social anxiety is now through the roof. And I wonder if it's a muscle that sort of withered. But I'm now so paranoid about everything that I've said every time I go out or talk to someone on the phone and I go over it and over it and over it in some punishing way that all I want to do is just lie in my bedroom like an Edwardian depressive staring at the yellow wallpaper. Anyway, so thank God our friend Esther Corrin is here, armed with a book list to get us over this unlocking hump. She's a writer and a podcaster and a voracious reader and has a library of brilliant books for our every wild and crazy thought. Esther, please help. But first...
2: How are you? Well, Emily, I'm absolutely fine, but um there is a dead mouse somewhere oh. in my living room. Oh. But I I but I don't know where because what my cats have started doing is bring the mouse in. They are hired to get rid of the mice, right? Because I don't like poison. So but we do have mice. I've got these cats. Their job is to deal with the mice but what they're doing at the moment is bringing the mice in and like stashing them around the ground floor of my house. And you can you can't tell until they start to smell. Anyway, so there is one somewhere that after we've recorded this, I'm going to go and have to deal with. I think it's under the sofa, but I can't really bear to find it do you know what I mean it's waiting for me so
1: I had one in my bathroom once and and the man whoever it was the man talked to the man Mm. the man said there's nothing you do you just have to wait for the smell to go you basically have to wait for it to decompose and it's a really bizarre buttery disgusting smell
2: it's a very horrible distinctive smell and it's not like it hasn't happened before and I'm not madly sort of squeamish about stuff like that but it is Still a bit gross. My life would be I would say 5% better if there wasn't a dead mouse in my living
0: room. Also the cats are just fucking with you, aren't they? That's the thing. It's like that, <laughs> <laughs> like like the universe yeah. generally. It's like we're going to do our job, but we're going to make it slightly annoying for you. What did reading
1: do for you during lockdown? I found I shut down to the extent what? where I couldn't even read a page.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. It's very very very. I mean, the thing is that the that that you know, books really can be so helpful if you're going through one of that that kind of that sort of stuck languishing thing that we've most of us have experienced through lockdown where you just you're just like I hate this but I also kind of love this because I don't have to do anything but I also hate it I'm creatively like some zero game and when you can't read anything you go into a sort of downward spiral and when you can find that book that like breaks your reading drought I think it's very, very healing for your mind if you can just, like, get away from it and lose yourself in any sort of book. I
1: agree. If you can just start reading again, it almost begins to deliver you back to yourself in a funny kind of way.
2: 100%. But not being able to read... I mean, really not being able to read a thing is such an indicator of like a mildly depressive state. You know, I don't mean clinically depressed. I just mean like we all get depressed or whatever or languishing or whatever you want to call what, what's happening to us. It, it is the number. It's the first thing that goes. You just can't settle down to read any book.
1: So if people want to get going again. Yeah, if they need some help, but they perhaps aren't going to read, you know, men are from Mars, women are from Venus and things with conventional self help titles. What do you think might be useful places to start?
2: Well, a book that really broke my reading drought about six months ago. It's not a new book, but it's new to me and it was not madly famous. So lots of people won't have read this book. It's called Wintering by Catherine May. So Wintering, it's a kind of it's sort of like a a memoir by uh, Catherine May. And she presents the theory that all of us have periods of like wintering, quote unquote, in our lives, not necessarily in winter so she describes a period of sort of wintering in her life that begins with her it sounds a bit odd but it begins with her husband's appendicitis and it begins with this critical moment in her family life you know her husband's got appendicitis she's got one or two small children and it begins a period of like kind of reasonably critical malaise I mean this is written way before lockdown but the experience she describes of just like not really being able to settle to anything not being able to do anything it describes the feeling that we're all having very well and she posits the theory that a period of wintering in your life like the one that we've all just experienced and we're continuing to experience is actually can be a really positive kind of healing thing even though it doesn't really feel like it and she also explains that you know massive bursts of creativity or activity or building things or doing anything is exhausting and you can't do it all the time you know you have to sort of reset a bit even if it feels at the time like failure right it's actually really really important and it's a it's a very good mellow easy to read book, and it really got me back into books, which is great.
1: I mean, Emily and I, through lockdown, kind of joked that we felt like we were bears who'd slowed down our own heart rates in order to survive the winter. So that really resonates. But then the question became how to then warm ourselves up again and get ourselves moving again.
2: Yeah. Well, in this book, it's all about cold water swimming, which is where she lost me. But a lot of people do swear by it. And it's her. And I've got a feeling that this book was written back before cold water swimming was such a kind of, everybody was doing it, right? So I've just been in Scotland and there are all these outdoor sea
0: pools and you swim in them and basically for the first 20 seconds in you go you're just basically going fuck 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 mm. fuck, fuck and then suddenly you realize that you are only thinking about moving to stay warm slash alive and also to experience the kind of the hugeness of mm. being out in the sea and honestly it's been it is it is a good reset because you are you are no longer thinking yeah. about all the things you have to do your only your primal purpose is to kind of keep moving to stay warm and to kind of and it was it was fantastic so I mean there is a
1: theory that um, that, that people the one of the reasons people find it so therapeutic is because at that point you know your day can't get any worse <laughs> yeah 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 but actually my friend who I think I said this my friend who, who sort of climbed Everest said that when he was at altitude feeling nauseous and could hardly breathe he's never been less anxious because <laughs> it wasn't you know, the thing about cold water swimming, it's, it's it's not that I'm against it in principle. But like everything in my life, it's about convenience. If yeah. there was a sea water pool across the road that didn't have duck shit in it and sludge yeah. and, <laughs> and the general public, and I didn't have to drive to if it was just there, I'd do it. But if I had to put on an anorak and go to a lake somewhere, a 45-minute drive away, and then, sort of, you know, that it, it's the logistics around it, as with everything. Are I totally agree.
0: It. And also, you need a shitload of kit as well. You do. Mm. There's no getting around it. It's not like, oh, look... Look, let's just whip off up. You know, you need the layers and and also that you know, there is a sort of time period afterwards where you can't actually like do up your jump, you're like sort of shaking. Which would be good practice for when we're ninety, hopefully. Anyway. (laughs)
1: So apart from the cold water swimming, wintering by Catherine May is gonna resonate for those of us who've been staring def- at the wall.
2: Definitely, definitely. And it's about, it's about the, the natural lulls in your life and what you can do with them and how to kind of reframe in your mind what's just happened to you, not as a stagnation out of which you may never... Cruel, but something that's going to stand you in good stead well you know if life is all about context
1: then we're going to have to spend the next few months or years or however working out how to contextualise what's just happened and integrate it into our whole situation
2: and not just go well that was a total waste of time you know I've to I think that's quite nice
0: actually if we can just say, Oh well, actually, darling, we've been wintering. Because it almost sounds like we've been like, you know, I'll be
1: summering on the Côte d'Azur and wintering in an asylum. Yeah. (laughs)
2: Yeah, Exactly.
1: (laughs) What's next on your list, Esther?
2: Okay, what's next is actual self-help. Okay, this is a little bit of a controversial pick, and you're both gonna go, uh, when I say it to you. But the the self-help book that I think everybody needs to read, okay? I do like a self-help book, but this is great. It is very famous. It's called How To Talk So Kids Will Listen and How To Listen So Kids Will Talk, okay? But this is not just about children. It does work on children, but this is about everyone, okay? And this book teaches everybody how to talk to people when they are having difficult feelings. And we're all having weird, difficult feelings at the moment about all sorts of stuff, okay? And it's a very, very simple theory. It goes, so Annabelle, if you say to me, I'm just so tired, I just can't do it anymore, the cat peed everywhere, I cannot cope with my life, I feel really out of control. Most people would say, oh, have a drink and everything will be better. It's nearly the weekend, the sun's shining, but you're so pretty, or but you're so clever and brilliant at everything (laughs) else that you do. No, 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 That's the kind of human, and it comes from a good place, but it will most likely make you feel worse. What you're supposed to say is, Annabelle, it sounds like you've had a really, really difficult day. And you'll go, Yeah, I have had a really difficult day. Do you know what? Once
1: I had um, split up with a man I was going to marry, not a few months before, and I'd gone with my best friend to New York. It was December. And it was all sort of meant to make me feel better. Nothing made me feel better at that point. I was coming back to London and we were on separate flights and there was snow in London. And so the aeroplane, in its British wisdom, I think it was BA, diverted to Iceland because (laughs) there was snow in London. And so I sat in a tiny hotel room in Iceland for three days and the free lunches and dinners were marinated whale. And for some reason, I didn't have a coat with me. I'd been in New York and I'd borrowed one. I didn't have a coat. And people kept um, sort of texting and going, but it's Iceland, there's so much to do. You could go and do this and what fun and you can explore. And my best friend rang the morning and went, all she wants to hear is, poor you. Yeah. Poor you, this must be very yeah. isolating. Poor you, is there anything poor we can you can do? This must be very distressing, to your point.
2: So, exactly. So, when somebody brings you a really difficult feeling, and this is about children, but it's everybody. When someone brings you a difficult feeling, you don't say, no, you're not feeling like that. You say, you literally repeat it back to them, go, you're feeling really out of control at the moment. And you go, yeah, I'm feeling, and you go, I'm not surprised you're feeling really out of control. And it's about not offering stupid solutions. It's about going, Annabelle, what I really, what I really want for you is for tomorrow to bring you a little bit more joy. I really wish that for you. Rather than like, what can I do? Can I help? Can I take Barry to the chemo? No, no, no. You know, nobody wants solutions. Stop giving solutions, you know. But you can say, what I wish for you is a better day tomorrow. And this book is very brilliant at going through all kinds of different... So it's a very difficult thing to do because other people's bad feelings especially if we're having a good day are super inconvenient and we want them to just shut up and cheer up and go away but you're just creating more problems. So, how to talk so kids will listen and how to listen so kids will talk by Adele Faber and Elaine Mazlish is a very famous book um and it will change your life in half an hour. I'm a terrible people pleaser so my
0: My default setting is fixing. I'm like, how can I fix this? How can I fix this? But actually, that's not listening. It's not hearing what the other person is is feeling. And, you know, um, all the other thing you do is go, oh, me too. And then that also eradicates. It's very interesting to just try and
2: actually let someone feel their feelings and tell you that. And kind of, yeah. Anyway, No, sitting with someone while they're having a bad feeling is the kindest thing that you can do. And obviously, nobody sat with me with my bad feelings when I was a child, which is why I drink so much, because every time I'm having a bad feeling, I'm like, I know, let's buy something which will make me feel better. Or if it's after six o'clock, let's have a drink, because that will make all the bad feelings, boredom, despair, uncertainty, anxiety, all of it, that will make them all go away. And it's, it's why it's super important to do this uh, with, with your children your godchildren, your, you know, whoever, whatever child you have in your life, you need to practice this with. But it's not too late to do it with adults too.
1: What's next, Esther? What's
2: next is an amazing book. The headline is, if you're feeling mentally unwell and like brackets and you would like some company... This book is by a woman called Meg Mason and it's called Sorrow and Bliss and you've probably heard of it. It's just an outstanding book. It really is. It's written so beautifully. It's also a little bit difficult to describe but it's basically about a woman dealing with a life spent living with quite a serious mental illness. The condition itself isn't named explicitly. I think the author was a bit like, I don't want it to be, you know, she wanted it to be an amorphous kind of illness rather than something very specific that people could kind of pick holes in. Well, actually, it's not like that, but it's kind of like a sort of schizophrenia-ish sort of personality disorder type thing. And it's one of those books that isn't about anything actually specific. It's just about her life and how she feels about dealing with this illness and it's just she makes she's the kind of writer who doesn't even need a subject she's just so absorbing and she's brilliant at making everything involving she reminds me actually a bit of diana evans who wrote ordinary people which is also incredibly good and had a, has a kind of supernatural element to it i mean it's just wonderful
1: i mean it's a wonderful novel really emily and i are both reading it it's almost at the end of it at the moment and and she's got real lightness of touch so it yeah. is it's about family it's about mental and what it what it reminded me is that thing where if your mental health is not good maybe it's anxiety or depression with me or maybe it's something um you know more exotic less common or garden like the unnamed condition in the book what it so often does if you are struggling or suffering is it makes you look to the rest of the world like a massive dick And it's so you're putting yourself out there really for misinterpretation, which in itself is really painful. And it also so often leaves you feeling as though you are lazy and bad. Mm. You're a substandard human because everybody else seems to be coping. And she's so good on that, isn't she, Em?
0: Oh, so good. I mean, I finished it last night, and I I actually stopped reading it for a couple of days because I, I was reading it so fast that I was like, I've got to stop because I just want to just kind of really enjoy it. And. But yeah, absolutely. About the way that you can kind of back yourself into the corner, and the f- she's so good on the dual frustration, like the family's sort of being incredibly patient and not at times, but also going, can't you just make an effort for this one thing and kind of put your face on and go out? And, yes.
1: re- and didn't you you didn't really feel that sad, did you, Martha? You didn't really feel that sad. You weren't really that bleak. while you like? You need to tell me that you weren't feeling that sad so that I feel better
0: but also yeah, exactly. a, how also how even when you are so lost in your own and, and and obviously she'd had all different kinds of treatment over the course of the book but even when you're so lost you are still very distant from from yourself that's mm. the thing isn't it it's sort of like you no know, matter a conversation that we've had about therapy you know you can have a lot of it it still doesn't push you further on when you can't get out of bed you can't get out of bed yeah right so yeah it's bliss and it's called sorrow and bliss and it is I'd sorrow actually, and bliss yeah
1: I'm so glad. Bl- I'm so glad you brought that up, and I think it's about to be on the bestseller list because I think I, a lot of us are having. I do
2: hope so. Are talking
1: about it, and and I and I hope everybody reads it because um, yeah. it gives you some perspective. I think
2: the next category I've got is called just for fun, and it's the longest. Longest <laughs> is the longest category, and these are books. To have a go at if you're struggling to read more than three words in a row, basically. And this next book, which is called Wow No Thank You by Samantha Irby, is a book that got me out of another real rut when I couldn't do anything except watch Instagram Reels, right? I was literally just watching Instagram Reels (laughs) and drinking tea and I couldn't do anything else. Anyway, and I came across this brilliant book called Wow No Thank You by Samantha Irby. So Samantha Irby is a sort of extraordinary character. She's an American writer and a comedian, and her voice is just so. Original and fresh and like wild. She's like, she's like an angry salmon. Do you know what I mean? She just kind of thrashes (laughs) this way and thrashes that way, and she's just spitting out jokes like a machine gun. She's unstoppable. Um, she writes about you know, totally ordinary episodes in her life, like just going out for dinner with her girlfriends or like going to an. It's
1: essays, really, isn't it? Well, no, thank you. Exactly. So it's a
2: memoir kind of essays, and it's based on I think a a blog that she wrote or like a newsletter that she wrote. And she writes about going out for the evening with her girlfriends and she makes it so vibrant and funny and alive. It's like, it's like, she's like one of those people sometimes you get to sit next to at a party or a dinner or a wedding and you can't believe how you've lucked out by sitting next to this person. Because she's like, come here, come here, come here, come here. Let me tell you this and this and this and all of these things and all of these people and it's you and me together against this, you know, in this thing. And she's also got, she's got Crohn's disease, which... um obviously gives you some pretty unpleasant gastric symptoms. And she just, there's no, she doesn't hide anything anywhere. She just is like, and this is what I have to do. And I have to go to the bathroom and wads of tissue. And, and you just go, wow, this is just, this is just crazy and, and fascinating. At times you have to kind of put it down and like take a deep breath and go, I'm going to have to come back to this book when I have more strength. You know, <laughs> this is a really good one. If you just, you just can't read anything. She just takes you by the hand and goes, come and sit by me and we'll have a chat. And it's just super easy.
1: Takes you by the hand slash grabs you by the hair. Exactly. Yeah,
0: hits you like a salmon. I mean, it is so good. <laughs> I totally agree. I love one of my favourite chapters or essays or parts of the book was the one that's like, yeah, sex is great, but... And then just yes. thousands of alternatives. Oh, yeah. <laughs> have you ever <laughs> so used a really... That. Yes,
1: sex is great, but have you ever used a really good pen or that? Yeah, right. Exactly, right. Yeah. and
0: it's just like but yeah I, I it's really interesting actually your picks are i agree sometimes we can we can slip into kind of formulaic reading where we know what we like and whatever and that these are very like actually form defying the structures are, are not the way the tone is it's slightly off, isn't it? And also the point of view, like one minute it's in the eye, one minute it's in it's in third person. Like it
2: just shifts. Mm. Both of them shift. It's great. Mm. Love, obsessed. Mm. Yeah. No, I very much, I don't, I, I these picks are all very specific to me. I mean, I don't like genre fiction very much. I like thrillers and like, oh, I can't bear like, I can't bear, I can't really bear thrillers and I can't really bear like detective stories. I hate mysteries. You know, I, all of that, I can't stand it. I want someone who's <laughs> really doing something original and crazy which leads me to early morning riser by Catherine Heine. so she wrote standard deviation a couple of years ago and now she's written this book again not about anything in particular it's about a woman you know a section of a woman's life uh she's a primary school teacher and she sort of hooks up with this guy who seems to have slept with absolutely everybody in the local area but it's not really about that i mean that's just like a comic riff that she goes on it's just about kind of 10 or 15 years in her life if it if it has a theme it's about it's about sort of parenting and children to a certain extent because there are a lot of grown-up children and there are also a lot of children children she gets a lot of humor out of small children being crazy and it's brand new and she's got a real magic touch and it's just great 10 out of 10.
0: I mean couldn't agree more fucking funny I think that's the thing about all these books as well is that they're so funny are you mm. I mean you know that you will find yourself and also incredibly like emotionally skewering so one minute you're like oh that's so funny clever I like what Mm. you did there and then next minute you're like why am I on the bathroom floor crying yeah (laughs) yes I like
1: that I like that roller coaster where you're on the bathroom floor crying and then you're laughing and feeling it's inappropriate that you're laughing Mm. and I like I like it I don't like it with film but I like it when books manipulate me
2: yes definitely let's move on to your next book. so the next book humor is really really important to me as well as you might be able to tell most of these are funny even how to talk to, to kids in the listening book is funny at times um so this next one cobble hill by cecily von Ziegler is also very funny, and it's quite similar to Early Morning Riser, but it's a bit more. It's a little bit more straightforward. So Cecily von Ziegsar, I hope I'm saying that right. She wrote Gossip Girl, so she is very, oh. very good. She's very good with a huge cast of characters, and she's decided to set this book in Cobble Hill, which means nothing to me. It's a it's a small suburb it's in. Got Brooklyn. to be some sort of
1: genteel. Yeah, I think sort of, yes, exactly. Yeah.
2: I think it's kind of like. So Queen's Park. Precisely. I think it's the Queen's Park of Brooklyn in New York. And she is she is unbelievably deft at handling such a wide range of completely different characters and managing to kind of entwine them all together. She's got weird performance artists, school teachers, teenagers. There's a grand novelist who's trying to write a new book and they all live and work in the Cobble Hill area. And it's a very lovely, cosy American domestic kind of another tale about not terribly much in particular. But if you like the idea of autumn in New York, as I really do, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of bonfires. There's a lot of like pumpkin carving parties. There are teenagers getting into trouble, but not too much trouble. Like nothing really horrible happens. And it's very funny. And it's very just, she just, you're you're just in such safe hands. Like she, there are no, Bum notes anywhere, and it's a which is wonderful to just open the door to that world and just go there. So, if for anyone a bit. actually
1: manages to have a holiday, this is just the ticket, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah,
2: exactly. Some sort of
1: bed reading. It's not going to upset you. It's not going to shock you. It's not going to let you down.
2: Exactly. I don't. I'm not a big fan of like um sad children stories missing children sad children dead children no thank you i mean that's just like, uh, and it's and it's got to be a, a little bit funny there was a book called writers and lovers by lily king which i really like i very nearly made it onto this list but not quite and it was almost like it was almost as if the entire book was geared toward making this one joke that she makes there's only one there's only basically <laughs> one joke in the book <laughs> but it feel but the joke was so funny and the rest of the book had been quite sad. So that when this one joke came along, I I cried with laughter because it was so funny. Um, and that's why kind of humour, even one single joke. I know joke. women
1: who've married men because of one joke. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, it, it, it just, it, that one joke was good enough. <laughs> I know. But when it's a corker, you think, listen... If you've got that in you. I,
1: but, yeah, but when it's a corker, it's literally like sacred art almost. a <laughs> joke is good enough, isn't it?
2: Yeah. No, without question. You're so
1: flooded with admiration and pleasure.
2: Yeah. No, if you can actually make, if someone can make you laugh out loud. I mean, my therapist once said to me, why do you have to make people laugh all the time? And I'm like, well, because people like you. And she said, yeah, but people can laugh at your jokes and still not like you as a person. And I was like are you kidding shut up (laughs) if you can make someone laugh you've got them forever i don't care what you say you know i still think she's wrong i still think she's wrong it is
1: harder to walk away from funny
2: (laughs) it is and also i don't care if people think i'm a jerk i just laugh at my jokes i don't care I feel um, like
1: I've got to go away now and load up my Kindle. Is there
2: more? Oh, yes, there's there's two more. Two more. There's more. I was told eight. I was told eight, so I've got two more. Oh, yes, Emily said eight. Emily's the boss, right? Very good. Eight's (laughs) one. We'll through. One
1: for each month until, you know, I was going to say Christmas, but just ignore me.
2: Well, this this next one is quite long, so it could take you until Christmas if you're a slow (laughs) reader. Um, So this section is called It Could Be Worse, and my first one is the book that I have loved the most in the last kind of two or three years. And I've loved my books a lot. It's called A Gentleman in Moscow by Amor Towles. And this, again, is not a new book. Um, But you might have not, you know, it's got like, 12,000 five star reviews on Amazon and people tend to skip over those for some weird reason they're kind of like that's not I'm more of a niche person anyway this is a wonderful wonderful book okay it's set in the first half of the 20th century in Moscow and it's about a Russian aristocrat who manages to escape being shot by the Bolsheviks but he is put under house arrest in a hotel for something like 40 years and it's about how he survives being locked up in this hotel not allowed to leave go outside or do anything and it's about you know and he's this wonderful charming funny kind of um Philosophical, wonderful. Guy. I mean, he's an amazing like advert for the Russian aristocracy. You're completely on his side, but the Bolsheviks are made out to be sort of a funny, hapless ragtag bag of near duels as well. You know, it just, it's just, he just is just he taking a terrifying situation and making it just sort of interesting and quirky and weird. So but you you get you get a kind of potted history of what happened to Russia at that time which is not like uninteresting and you also get this amazing uplifting tale about making the best of your situation and um and it's got a great ending as well so I, that is wonderful so it's about kind of yeah sure you're in captivity but you know at least you're not being shot by the Bolsheviks when you leave a front door. My last book is a kind of, it's, it's a piece of kind of social anthropology, basically. It's called A Bit of a Stretch by Chris Atkins. And you, I'm sure you've come across it. Chris Atkins is a filmmaker who was sent to prison for, I think, two and a half years for fraud. And he's a perfectly ordinary middle class guy. And he gets sent to prison, right? So it's a big, scary prison. He isn't sent to an open Category D prison until almost the end of a sentence so he spends a long time in you know a proper porridge banger and he doesn't like assume any knowledge of anything he goes this is what happens you arrive they do this you do this you do this this is what prison life is like this is how it can be made better this is why it probably isn't going to be made better and it's just um books that show you a completely different world are always interesting And it doesn't matter if it's this is what the world is like in my house and we're Jehovah's Witnesses or whatever it is. Someone who can really take you by the hand. A bit like Crazy Rich Asians was a lot like that. The author really wanted you to see and understand completely everything about this society. And it was incredibly instructive and fascinating. You know, it had a bit of a misleading title, but it was a wonderful insight into this other thing that you would never see. And a bit of a stretch is exactly the same. It's very good. And also, you can feel grateful you're not in actual prison. Yeah, exactly. It's like... Yes.
1: It turns into more law-abiding citizens. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Might encourage us to go out a bit more. Yeah, exactly. Don't commit
0: yes, fraud. the well, we one still can.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love the fact that your books are basically themed around
2: madness and incarceration. Because
0: <laughs> that's, that's where we're at. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah I, I, you know, as I was picking them, I was going through my Kindle going, no, 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 not that one, no, no. I thought, mm, are these a bit... I mean, look, everybody's book picks are always like, personal aren't they you know I just um but those are the ones that I feel like kept me alive
1: yeah um, that's what we want And kept
2: me kind of limping from meal to meal and from walk to walk and uh you know sometimes if from a list you only get one recommendation and one good book it's worth it one good book is worth so much well you've given us eight Esther
1: Corin.
0: I've always read everything Esther tells me to read, so and it's never disappointed. So it's best to do
1: everything that Esther tells you to do. Yeah,
0: I agree. <laughs> Um, and now I'm going to go.
1: I'm I'm going to go and and continue to wipe the car. Do you think that the cat peeing in the car episode is going to be one of those traumatic things where forever I'm going to be like getting up at three in the morning to go and wipe the car? Even when it's another car, I'll still be wiping the car. The car is never clean. The, na- the car is never clean. She cried.
2: I know. I th- I think I think what you're probably going to end up doing is having a little box in your boot of cleaning supplies, which is what I did. I carried a box of cleaning supplies in my in the boot of my car for five years after Kitty vomited in her car seat. <laughs> I was like, it's, it's it's the vomit box, you know, way after she could just open the window and vomit. I'm going to go and assemble my cleaning box
1: now. Excellent. And then I'm going to load up my Kindle.
2: Yes, have fun. Have fun. Go, be free. Read. Uh,
1: Esther, thank you so much. Thank you so, so much. My pleasure. Thanks. And we'll see you no soon. Worries. Bye, Bye, Bye. You've been listening to Annabelle Rifkin and Emily McMeekin of The Mid-Alt. Our book, I'm Absolutely Fine, is out now. If you like what you hear, please rate, review and subscribe.
0: And just a reminder, because who remembers anything? Readly is offering you two months free if you sign up today using our link, readly.com forward slash the midart. And we'll just leave you with this thought life is too short to spend it at war with yourself.